Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Michelin tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people... It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the best of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. We're joined now by John Morosi. John Morosi is a smart guy. He went to Harvard, and I'll start with him with this question that we were kind of debating. I don't know, John, if you saw what was tweeted at Draymond Green, but in general, I'm kind of asking an interesting question. Would Twitter be better if there were no anonymous Twitter accounts? Facebook makes an attempt to ensure that you are a real person before you can get a Facebook account. Twitter allows people to create as many anonymous accounts as they want to, and sometimes as a result, there are people out there with 10, 15, 20 different anonymous Twitter accounts. Is that good or beneficial at all in your mind to the social media network in general, or are you with me that maybe Twitter would be a little bit better if you had to be a real person at least to tweet? I'm with you, Clay, on that one. I, I think that uh, some degree of personal accountability would be helpful, I think, to the overall discourse. Uh, I think when when people know your name and know who you actually are, I think there's a, there's at least a uh, a certain level of, uh, of of control where if if you say something inappropriate, there's going to be accountability for that because your actual name is on it. So uh, I, I do think that that would be helpful. Uh, I, I'm uh, unfortunately not optimistic that, that that change will happen anytime soon, but uh, I, I do think, Clay, that in general, a, a bit more uh, forthrightness in our communication and, and honesty, I think, would be, uh, would be uh, much, uh, 
much appreciated, and I think a, a really good change if we could find a way to make that happen. I think you could allow anonymous accounts for people out there who just want to look at uh, look at what's going on on Twitter and maybe even retweet people who are verified or whatever. But I don't know what benefit we get from them being allowed to have the same rights as people who are real humans. Uh, and are actually using their real names out there. I, I think it would be an intriguing uh, experiment for Twitter. I'm sure they won't do it because Wall Street is so uh, so focused on how many new accounts they have, and I think they're at like 336 million new accounts now. But how many of those are real people, and how many of those are people who have multiple accounts? I think the value for Twitter would be in knowing how many of those are actually useful accounts as opposed to how many exist in general. But that's uh, that's me kind of on the soapbox. All right, we have two uh, game sixes tonight in the uh, in the NHL. Uh, the only two NHL series are left. You are an NHL expert. Do you think that there is uh, any game seven coming? Do you think the Caps and the Penguins will see one, or do you think we'll see one in Winnipeg and the Preds? Great question. I, I think that for now, uh, Winnipeg's got some really good momentum going. I think that was a very impressive game five they played on the road in Nashville. I, I think now both teams find a way to get it done. Uh, the, the Capitals, uh, I know uh, what a uh, what a striking statement that may be, given their playoff history against the, the Penguins. And, of course, uh, the Capitals have not beaten the Penguins in the playoffs since the mid-1990s, uh, basically a full decade before uh, Ovechkin and Crosby came into the league. So uh, this is about as much of a... Red Sox, Yankees, uh, uh, in terms of team that uh, team that really had the, the upper hand for so long uh, against another that we maybe have seen in, in, in recent time. I'm, I'm talking, of course, of before the before night before 2004. Um, but I, I, something about the way that this this series has played out from the Capital standpoint leads me to believe they can do it this time. Uh, I, I think that you look at the, the overall dynamics of, of the way the, the game has been played and, and the Penguins. They've just played so much hockey uh, in the last two years. Uh, and I think that that at some point in time, Clay, it's the reason why we have not seen a team win three cups in a row since the 1980s. It is just really hard to have that same group of players uh, rallying uh, for three consecutive springs through all the physical, mental grinds that are involved in, in going through a playoff series. So I, I think that, that both teams find a way to, to wrap it up. Uh, but I would say this on the Penguins' side, uh, Jake Gensel, again, his, his, uh, his scoring in the playoffs, Remarkable uh, for for a player as young as he is to come up in in two consecutive playoffs and be a reliable goal scorer to, to the extent that he has is really impressive. So I would say he is uh, certainly one name to watch the Penguins here tonight. Did the Vegas Golden Knights uh, advancing to the Western Conference Finals prove that the NHL somehow blew it in the expansion draft? My kids were asking me this last night. They were like, "Wait a minute, how was Las Vegas in their first year?" and they are now going to be in the Final Four of the NHL. Did the NHL get it wrong in the way that they did that expansion draft? What happened to allow this even to be possible? I think they got it right. I really believe that. And, and, and the reason for that, Clay, is uh, I think from a competitive standpoint, if, you, if you're looking at your league, um, and, and certainly there's, there's a question of how much you quote-unquote owe it to a, a franchise coming into the league to to give them every possible opportunity to, to succeed. But let's remember this about the National Hockey League. You've got 30, well, before this year, you had 30 teams, 16 of which make the playoffs. You're already doing a fair amount to help your teams competitively by having that many teams in the playoffs every year. And so if, if, if the question is, 
to to make sure that you maybe lower the the number of players that you can protect by one or two uh, based upon either past president or, or what you think that they would like to have be the case. I, I think that that's a fair way to do it, and, and I think that the way they did it was was right. It resulted in a competitive team. I, I still think look at the Golden Knights, Clay, and and. There are still, if, if basically every team they play in the playoffs and whoever they play in the next round, they're not going to have as many name brand players as, as their opponents. They they still don't. Even uh, if you look at this number of all star teams made, um, they just they're they're winning because of the way they're playing a collective brand of hockey. They're winning because they've got a goalie who's won the Stanley Cup before. They're winning because you've got guys like Ronnie Smith and Jonathan Marchessault who have just had fantastic career best year so uh, i think the structure was good and and i think actually clay what it's done i believe is is it's 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 quickened the pace for for the for the joining of a 32nd team in seattle and and i think it's it's made that a much more appealing circumstance brought more excitement i think from the fans in seattle like hey we can actually have a have an expansion team and win right away i i think the ability to um create some real positivity and, and positive fan interaction and investment by both the, the new ownership group in Seattle and their own fans, uh, it, it's almost hard to calculate what this does in a positive way. So I think it's the right way to do it, and uh, it's, a, it's really a credit to Gerard Gallant, uh, Bill Foley, and, and George McPhee and how they've put this team together because it's been a lot of fun to watch them play last night. They were, just, they were lucky early, a couple pipes in the first period by San Jose, but uh, they were the better team in the series. Uh, last question for you, and uh, I'm curious on this. We'll switch to uh, to baseball. Are the Yankees and the Red Sox the two best teams in Major League Baseball right now? Well, it's it's a great question, Clay, and I love the the fact that the rivalry is back in a big way. They, they those two teams have the two best records in the league. They're going to begin a, uh, a series on Tuesday, and uh, you saw over the weekend, Glaber Torres and his walk off. Uh, the, the Red Sox were, were they already were a really good team last year. People forget that they uh, were a division champion, um, but they they finished at the bottom of the league in home runs, and they, they were just not that fearsome of a lineup despite the fact that they won their division last year well now rick porcello is is much better on the mound and their lineup has changed because mookie betts is playing like an mvp and jd martinez is really heading for power again so there's a lot to like there and and, and i think that uh there's going to be some some excitement i believe for this team going forward uh, for both teams actually and uh, to me clay that mlb is in a better place there's there's excitement there uh whenever you've got an opportunity to see these two teams at the top of the league and, and really have that excitement that channels through the rest of the game. So Red Sox and Yankees, uh, Tuesday uh, showdown series begins in the next year, reportedly uh, going to London. So exciting times in, the, in one of the great robberies in all sports. Outstanding as always. We'll talk to you later this week as we get some resolution potentially in the NHL. And we'll also talk a little bit more uh, Major League Baseball. He's John Morosi. Go follow him on Twitter at John Morosi, J-O-N-M-O-R-O-S-I. Thanks, my man. Clay, my pleasure. Have a wonderful week, my friend. Thanks so much. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. This is a confident show, especially we bring in uh, Ryan Glass-Peagle from The Big Lead, and we got a lot to jump into and get to in the world of sports media and beyond. But I want to start, Ryan, with this question for you. How much benefit does Twitter get from anonymous Twitter accounts? In other words, if they cease to exist tomorrow... And Twitter said you have to be a real person uh, in order to have a Twitter account. What would the impact be? 
Well, the the biggest the biggest impact on that would be if they really got rid of all the anonymous people and all of the bots and all of like these famous people who have allegedly millions of gross followers suddenly dwindled to their real amount of people who are actually there. I think it would be catastrophic to some of these people's egos and they might see, oh, I'm reaching a lot less people than I thought and cease to use it. So that's one. Number two, if President Trump ever stops using the medium or dies or whatever, I wonder how much of like a dramatic impact it'll have. But yeah, I think I do think that if there I have no idea what percentage of the people who are on there in people's mentions are cloaked in anonymity, but yeah. there's definitely a reason why um, why Twitter hasn't banned these people. Because if you were like going in an online casino and you were cheating with your friend in poker tournaments or something, they would find out who you are and they'd make sure that you could never come back. So Twitter could clearly do that and they don't. Yeah, I, and, and I think the reason why we had this conversation is obviously – uh, the Draymond Green story. Now, the guy saying he hoped Draymond Green got shot in the head. Now, he wasn't anonymous, but I think that's the kind of comment that you get used to seeing on Twitter, like all too commonly, and it's the kind of thing that if you heard it actually said, it would be jarring to you. And so I find it really kind of intriguing to uh, to, to think about what the impact, and I said this earlier, I've got 600,000 Twitter followers. I have zero idea how many of those are quote-unquote real people. Now, I know when I tweet out a link that tons of people click through. Like, I can see it in real time on Google Analytics, for instance, on my site. And certainly, when we put up a Twitter poll, I know that tens of thousands of people are going to go vote on it. But I have no idea how many of them are quote-unquote real. And the same thing would be true whether you're Donald Trump or Kanye West or any other celebrity out there. Uh, I do think that there's the illusion that, oh, they have 28 million people following them or whatever that number is. It probably makes them more likely to tweet because it satisfies their ego to believe that that many people care about what they're saying. Yeah, Instagram's like that, too, where these followers are so grossly inflated by bots or duplicate accounts. And it really is weird because they... I think, like, it, it, in a weird way, it benefits the social networks, as you said, that these people think that they're actually reaching that many followers. Yeah, because I'll look at these Instagram accounts, and it'll be like some model, and I'm like, I've sent way too many tweets to build up to 600,000 Twitter followers, and some random 24-year-old girl who has never done anything except be good-looking and post photos on Instagram, like somebody will send me a link, and I'll be like, two million followers? Like, what am I doing with my life that this girl is just dunking all over me in terms of her social media impact, and all she's got to do is be good-looking and pose in a picture in a bikini? That's the world we live in. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Speaking of the world we live in, what do you think about this potential Monday night football booth that's coming out? we got Jason Witten. Uh, the reports are that Booger McFarland is going to have a role and uh, Joe Tessitor. How do you think that will impact things? And does anybody actually become more likely to watch a game based on who's calling the broadcast? In very, very, very rare cases, yes. But I don't think that Witten, or certainly not Booger McFarland, would qualify there. The uh, Look, Witten, I'm, I'm, by all accounts, blew away the ESPN suit in his tryout 
I've heard stories that, like, one-on-one, he's super engaging. I've never heard him say anything specifically profound or interesting, but I don't think that that's different from most people that they were considering for this job. Booger McFarland could go either way. He was an NFL player for nine years. Everyone seems to like him. I don't know what to really expect in this field analyst thing. The time that it was tried with Tony Saragusa and Fox, it lasted a bunch of years, but I don't know if you could really say that that worked. Uh, the, the thing is, though, ESPN, for all their warts, they do a really good job of actually producing the games. Uh, any complaints that people have with them, I mean, Gruden got kind of annoying as the years wore on, but they're, with, when they air like college football, college basketball, NBA, MLB, and NFL games, they do a pretty good job with it. So I'm reserving my opinion until I see how they do. But I don't think that you can come away with it thinking that, okay, this is a total no-brainer slam dunk. We're talking to Ryan Glasspiegel. He's at the big lead. You can follow him on Twitter, at Sports Rapport. Um, Ryan, what do you think about the uh, drama surrounding the morning show at ESPN? Certainly, I've written and talked uh, quite a bit about this, the new Get Up morning show, which I think it's fair to say has been a ratings disaster. I mean, I don't think there's any other real way to put it. You did an, an article, which I, we retweeted, and we talked about it a little bit on the show, saying that the month of April, ESPN was down, I think it was 18% versus yeah. last year's Center versus this year's new Get Up Morning Show. They're paying nearly $15 million in salaries. I'm told the show costs roughly $35 million a year to uh, to run and that they need to be close to 500,000 people in order to show a profit, and right now they're at about half that. What's going on here? Is there any hope? What's going to be the end result of this show? Uh, the end result, is going. I think, is going to be that they unceremoniously pull the plug on it. And I don't know whether that means that they'll do kind of the Spaceballs reverse vacuum where they put Beetle back on Sports Nation, they revert... <laughs> to Mike and Mike, it definitely has been a disaster. There's no other way to spin it. Uh, you've dealt with the ESPN PR bunch. They don't, they, like, you, you know when something, you, get, you just kind of get an instinct when something is dead in the water. And so they're not really outwardly defending it. They're not saying anything. And I guess you can't because it's a scoreboard and it's down 18%. It's another thing to look into is that it's starting to drag down First Take's audience. First Take's audience had been up for like nine straight months or something year over year before April. It was up 4% year over year for the first quarter of this year. And then in April with Get Up There, it was down 6%. I, it's really tricky. I don't know what they do. I, if like I like to say, if I were running things, I would just cancel it right now and go back to Sports Center. But they've got these contracts with these high-powered people. Um, all of them are represented by the high-powered CAA agency, and I don't think that they can just pull the plug on it right now. But it doesn't look like it's ever going to be successful in the parameters that they hoped for. 
So how long do you give them? Uh, full disclosure, I'm repped by CAA, too. We got all the same agents. Uh, but how long do you give this show if they're down 18%? And like you said, they're now starting to detract for what has been a cash cow for ESPN, whether you like Stephen A. Smith and Max Kellerman or not. That show has been very, very successful in terms of the money that it brings into ESPN. And if you start to impact their uh, success or failure, that becomes even worse. By the way, Mike and Mike's ratings are down substantially. We're kicking their ass all over uh, the country in a way that, frankly, was never happening with Fox Sports Radio in the past. Um, you know, We're adding a lot of affiliates. I think it's fair to say that they pulled Mike Greenberg off that show and hurt that show. They hurt the morning show by putting those together. I think Sports Nation has evidently been hurt with Michelle Beadle not being on anymore. Uh, Sports Center has been hurt. Like This has kind of been an epic explosion. Here's the other thing. John Skipper, this was his baby. He's not there anymore. We got a new leader at ESPN. How long do you give? Do you give all the way through the NFL season to see whether or not it's working or do you eject during the summer and hope nobody even notices and just go back to Sports Center? If it were me, I would do the latter. I really don't I can't predict what they're going to do because this is the second really big decision for Jimmy Pitaro, the new head of ESPN. The first was the Monday night football booth. I I really don't have any type of temperature for what he's going to do, but the thing about this is is that the re- the reason why everybody's really jumping on what a disaster it is is A, the cost, but B, it was in, in like August or September, it'll have been two years since Richard Deitch first reported in Sports Illustrated that this show was an idea in incubation. And anytime you see a story that an ESPN show is being explored, it almost always winds up happening. And the reaction to it, as soon as he said that they were thinking about building a morning show around Mike Greenberg, everyone was like, why? This is a terrible idea. And so for the whole kind of two years, this is getting explored and then announced and then launched. Everybody thought it was going to flop and everybody, except for the people who were tasked with running this show were proven right. And it, it, it's, it's hindsight's always twenty twenty, but I think if you could go back what you do is you make Mike and Mike the flagship morning show on ESPN1 sometime around like 2013, 2014. I know they had the snafu about trying to move it to New York and it didn't get done, but if you could go back in time, I think that that would have been the most sensible option for them. Yeah, it's an interesting thought because they definitely have created a huge mess. Is the selection of talent the problem? Why did this not work? Now, you can make an argument. You've got two NBA people in Michelle Beadle and Jalen Rose. You've got Mike Greenberg, who never really has an opinion. That's that interesting. I mean, in my experience, he's a very successful morning radio show host, but he basically makes his living off not really saying anything that's going to upset anybody, right? And that's fine. I mean, there's certainly a huge market for that. But as a result, is there anybody who's tuning in like, I've got to hear what Mike Greenberg, Michelle Beadle, and Jalen Rose are going to say about any sort of event in particular, and maybe even especially any event outside of the NBA, which is why their numbers being down so much even in the NBA is such a mess, right? I mean, this is this should be their wheelhouse. It's really tough to figure out who they could put on a morning show that would move the needle because as far as I can tell, there's three people individually 
who moves the needle with linear television numbers, and that's um, Stephen A. Smith, Colin Cowherd, and Skip Bayless. The latter of those two, I get called a Fox apologist for thinking that it's really impressive that Skip and Colin were able to get two full football stadiums full of people to switch out of the ESPN orbit and onto FS1 every weekday. They probably took about a fifth of the aggregate audience between ESPN and ESPN2 with them, and that's just two guys, and everyone's like, well, they get outrated by bubble guppies or they're still getting killed by first take, but I, I don't know. I don't think that there's some people on the planet. Now, Mike and Tony together are the type of needle movers, but I don't know if separately you could say that based on how the two of them have um, done outside of PTI. So I, it's, I really think that this is not necessarily a talent issue, but it's an issue of the fact that the 300,000-some-odd viewers they did have every morning have been in their morning routine getting up and watching SportsCenter every morning for 20 years. And so then you took away something that delivered the what, and you tried to give it a show that's more analysis. And maybe if they moved, like, first take earlier, that would capture more people, but then you're just creating another hole. The issue is is there's only, like, kind of five, six, seven game-changing individual talents in sports media, and a lot of those game-changers are focused on digital now as opposed to being focused on TV. Also, they won't get up early. Uh, I mean, I'm just going to be honest <laughs> with you. Like, the sports media universe, like, uh, for this radio show, I mean, I, I don't know how many people, let's say that they offered, you know, I'm. let's say I left and they offered millions of dollars to Mike Wilbon to get up. I know Stephen A. Smith had a morning show for a long time, and he hated it. He was like, I just can't keep getting up early in the morning because I got to sit around and watch a late night NBA, and it's impossible for me to have a normal lifestyle if you get up this early. Now, I got young kids, so it kind of fits my schedule decently now. I still don't like getting up early in the morning when my alarm goes off, so a lot of people just won't do it. Uh, so what? Now, having said that, get up is a disaster ratings-wise, but yeah. also we've got Good Morning Football, which is doing really well on television uh, in terms of its overall ratings. Why is that show working on the NFL Network and Get Up not working? Maybe the answer is because people weren't putting on the NFL Network and looking necessarily for the latest news because you know that wasn't really what they thought of in terms of one sport channel. Why do you think there's a difference there? Well, the goalposts are different. I mean, if you put them up one against each other, a lot more people still watch Get Up every morning. And it's a lot easier to make kind of incremental gains if your base audience is 80 to 100,000 people. Then all of a sudden, if, you, if, you, if your base is 80 and you get 150, 160, you're up nearly 100%. And that's a really good story to tell. But, but uh, Good Morning Football works, in my opinion, because they it's four people. Only one of them is a former football player, and there aren't any football coaches. Football coaches on television, look, I know that you, there, a lot of people will argue that John Gruden was a resounding success. Bill Parcells was interesting for a bunch of years. But by and large, anytime you put a football coach on TV, you're going to get a really boring take and they don't have football coaches on there. It's 
three three quarters of the people on the panel are regular media members. If you look at kind of the shows that work on ESPN, it's the ones without a ton of former players on it. Around the Horn, PTI, First Take, Highly Questionable. Uh, sometimes there will be like an athlete segment, but... The, for whatever reason, and this isn't just an ESPN thing. It's, hey, let me cut, let me cut you off. Let me cut you too. off here, Ryan. Can you come back with us on the flip side? Because I want to ask you a couple more questions. I also want to build on this, but I got to hit a break here. Yeah, um, absolutely. We'll give you a buzz back. It's Ryan Glasspiegel, Big Lee. We're going to talk. Got a couple more questions for him. This is Outkick on Fox Sports Radio. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick: The Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. With us right now in the Geico Outkick Studios, Ryan Glasspiegel. Uh, from the big lead, he's at Sports Report on Twitter. I'll tweet out his Twitter handle. You guys can go follow him. We're talking about how awful the ratings are for GetUp, and uh, the big challenge that ESPN faces in general is, I think, a, a, a fair and legitimate one, and one they were trying to address with the new morning show. It is that the overall ratings for SportsCenter appear to be declining over time in a general sense. What do you do to fix that if you can't make substantial changes, as I think is evidenced as well by the failure of Get Up? Uh, you know, it's really tricky what they do. I, like I said, if you could go back four or five years, I think that you recognize that the sea is changing towards opinionated talk as opposed to news and highlights. Now, not that Mike and Mike was the most opinionated show in the world, but I think, it, like I said, if you put that on ESPN 1 in 2013-2014, I think you're in a much better position now than what, than what happened with the Get Up Sports Center transition. You mentioned Good Morning Football. MLB Network has its own morning show. FS1 has a morning show with Nick Wright and Chris Carter. I don't think any of those three are necessarily like um, contending with Sports Center or Get Up in terms of aggregate viewership. But if you take the three collectively, in, I don't know, 2009, those people were all ESPN Sports Center viewers. So. It's getting, the market's been getting fragmented on it a little bit. And I really don't know how many people there are who watch national sports um, TV shows. PTI in its heyday would get like a million, 1.2 million viewers a day. So if you look at that as kind of the whole world of the audience that you're competing for, when there's now upstart channels kind of taking market share away, I really just don't know what ESPN could put on in the time slot of 7 to 10 a.m. and have it be a resounding success. But then you say that, but you also don't just not try. So they did try something. It's not working. And I don't know what they should try next. Do you believe that ESPN intentionally threw Jamel Hill and Michael Smith under the bus when they announced that Stephen A. Smith would be hosting the 6 p.m. Sports Center and specifically said that ratings were up in March and in April since they've tr- uh, returned to more of a traditional sports center after replacing both of them? Yes, I do think they were doing that. Um, the it, I, It's not really any secret. There's a guy, Norby Williamson, at ESPN for, I don't know, close to 30 years, if not 30 years, and he's picked up a lot of more power within the organization. 
to over the last year or two. Partly that's a byproduct of the fact that they got rid of a lot of their older, kind of more knowledgeable nuts and bolts TV guys and started as they started to focus more digitally. And he's kind of a big survivor in the sense that he knows what innately his, he's a TV guy. And partly it's the fact that they just kept meeting him on like for input on these different shows, and now his umbrella includes almost all of and of ESPN's studio content, including like the NBA pre and post game stuff. They installed him as the person, kind of more broader in charge of SC Six and other guy named Dave Roberts who. And between them, it was oil and water with Mike and Jamel. And they they tried to change Mike and Jamel from these. Thanks. I got to let you. I, I got to let you go, Ryan. That was uh, outstanding stuff. Ryan Glasspiegel. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at uh, Sports Rapport. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network. Available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.